In the movie Mulan, there is a scene where she's on her very first day of basic training, and her luck dragon says, he has a, hands her a plate, and it's got bacon, smile, and, and saucer eyes, and he says, it's your breakfast, and it's happy to see you. Today, I am that breakfast. What a pleasure it is to see you all today. I'm happy to see you. Children, you are dismissed to your class. Teenagers, you are not. It's the last Sunday of the month, and you will hear every word I have to say. (laughs) Well, today we are going to go over a, let's see here. You might be wondering what I'm writing down. The answer is, first sermon, I may have waxed long. Don't tell Derek. <laughs> so, for better or worse, we're going to try and shore this thing up for you. All right, so here's what we're doing. We're going through a flyover over the book of Romans, just like driving up the Alcan Highway. All summer, we have been making our way through the book of Romans, and just like driving the Alcan, you get to see everything. You get to see the trees, you get to see the mountains, you get to see the rivers, you get to see the bays, you get to see the ice heaves. And every so often your car gets stopped by a wild animal. And then you hop on a flight and then you fly back down to the lower 48 and it takes you all of four hours and you get to see the big picture because you're going 500 miles an hour. And so such is going to be today's sermon on the book of Romans The book of Romans, in 35 minutes or less, we're going to do what they say can't be done. So we get this sermon loaded up and trucking. There's more to that song, but it escapes me, and I don't have time to to go through it. So the book of Romans can be summarized in this. This is the thesis statement of the book of Romans. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for the gospel is the power of God to bring salvation to everyone who believes, First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And if you want something to contemplate, if you want to contemplate the gospel, look no further than those verses, because there is a great deal of spiritual and theological truth packed into that. And so the book of Romans I've broken down really into three chunks. I've had a lot of people break it down into more, but I'm a three-point deductive, so I crammed it into my style. And so the first third is chapters one through four, and this is going to be how to have your sins atoned for. How do you get your heart made right before God? And then the next chunk is going to be five through eight, and that is what do we receive once we have been justified before the Lord? What do we receive after we have come to God in faith? And then the rest of the chapter is how to live that faith out in Christian community. So let's talk in the beginning about salvation. Well, we have to ask ourselves, save from what? And the answer is in one, and it starts in verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godless and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. 
For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. This is what we call the great exchange. This is the great exchange that is made by the pagan and the heathen that take the immortal God, the God of power and majesty, who through his breath created life, who formed a void into the world and all that is in it, and they take this God and instead they go and they cut idols out of wood and stone and they prop them up and nail them down and say, see This is our God. And they exchange the truth of God that is holy and righteous and good, and instead they exchange it for something that has no power, it has no life, and it will only lead them to darkness, wickedness, and evil. And today there may not be idols that we see out on the streets, but perhaps we have the idol of of human progress. And it all leads to godlessness. And godlessness leads to evil. And suffering and death. And that evil brings out the wrath of God. How could it not? If God is good, if God is holy, if God is righteous, how could he look down on wickedness and evil and do nothing How could he not look on wickedness and and be indifferent to it? Would we claim he was good if he were not just? No, the wrath of God is being stored up against the wickedness of humanity that we have promulgated all over the earth. Evil brings out the wrath of God, and we have to know we are being saved from the wrath of God, but not only the wrath of God, from our own wickedness. We are being saved from our own hard hearts, saved from our own flesh and evil desires. And now you might be saying to yourself, I grew up in the church. I have always done what is right by the Lord. By me, I have never gone and worshipped an idol. I have never gone and done those things. Why? It's those people out there who are the problem. And every time I see them, I thank God that I am not like these other men and women who go about doing evil. Let me tell you what the Word of God says about this. You, therefore, have no excuse You who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Do you show contempt? For the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. And it comes to this in in 17. Now you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and you boast in God, if you know his will and approve what is superior because you are instructed by the law, 
If you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Even those who claim, I am so righteous, I am so holy, I have been in the church my whole life, and I have been stepping on pagans the whole time. I know people who have been harmed by the church. I know people who have been deeply wounded by Christians And do you think that they are following God? No, they are not. Because they say, if this is God's people who reflect God, I want to have nothing to do with him. There is no one who has a right to God. There is no one who can go before the throne of God and say, you owe me. No, Just as it is written, there is no one righteous, no, not even one. Let me tell you how God deals with this. But apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he left sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be the one who justifies, who is just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Righteousness is not earned, it is received. No one can claim that through their actions and their works, they are righteous. That is not what the gospel says. The gospel says no one has a right to God, but in his love and in his mercy, all who come to him in faith are justified freely. Works are not required in the gospel. Amen. Hallelujah. Because it is something we receive in faith. Not our righteousness, but God's righteousness. God's salvation from his wrath, the freedom from hypocrisy, comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Indeed, it has always worked this way. Chapter 4 talks about Father Abraham. Father Abraham. Then when we're talking Genesis 12, this is the beginning. And what does it say about our Father Abraham? It says that Father Abraham believed in God and it was credited to him as righteousness. It has always been faith that is the means to have righteousness on your account. For thousands of years... God has been a God who desired that his people are a people of faith. 
And so for those of us who then are convicted by our sin and we receive salvation through faith in Jesus, whose sins are atoned for by Christ Jesus, faith in Messiah, we receive Jesus' righteousness on our account before God. If there is anything good in me, it is Christ Jesus. Amen. And I want you to know the righteousness that we have in faith is not a weak pitiful righteousness it is the righteousness of christ jesus himself that is now credited to us that's a lot of righteousness (laughs) i mean that's more than i could have ever hoped for and yet we have all received it in faith and so we make another exchange an exchange is made An exchange from evil and wickedness and sin and death and wrath to life and peace and hope and joy and restoration. Because now we round the corner and we start talking about those of us who have exchanged death for life and and wickedness for righteousness. We have a result of our salvation. There is something that comes out of that justification. And it begins in chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope and the glory of God. Not only so, but we glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Those are such rich and beautiful promises that not only has an armistice with God been signed, No, it is more than an armistice. It is a peace treaty. The covenant of a broken body and shed blood of a Messiah received in faith. Those of us who have come to Christ in faith, we now have peace with God. Not only do we have peace, but we have hope. We have the hope of the resurrection. We have the hope of eternal life. We have the hope that when we shed this mortal coil, we will go before the throne of God and he will say, welcome home. See, I have prepared a seat for you at the table. Come and be with your family for all of eternity. We have this hope that this life that we endure is not the end. We have the hope of the resurrection. And more than that, we have the love of the Holy Spirit poured out into our hearts and our lives. And just that small little piece of Scripture, these three promises have been made that we who have come to the Lord, we have peace with God. We have hope of the resurrection, and we have the love of the Holy Spirit as a sign and seal inside of us that our faith is legitimate. The love of God poured out into us. What an amazing and precious thing that we have 
that now we have hope for our lives here today. No more should we be dominated by feelings of worthlessness or self-pity, for we have the hope of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, the love of God poured out into us. And something that that leads to, once we have that reformed heart, once we have received that love and we have these gifts, then something else happens in 6, 22, and 23. But now that you have been set free from sin and become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Brothers and sisters, we come to the Lord, we have this great exchange, and then we are dead to sin. We are dead to evil. We are dead to wickedness. Those things have no place in the life of someone who is of faith. You cannot cling to that which you have been set free and expect to grow. You cannot cling to shards of the old. You cannot be bound to the things that have passed and claim that you are walking with God. You must put to death wickedness. You must put to death evil. You cannot coexist with darkness who are in the light. Those do not mix. And just as death and sin entered into the world through one man, Adam, Adam sinned and so became the pattern of all to come. All his sin, the one man, Jesus Christ, life and righteousness came into the world and put to death wickedness, evil, and sin. In faith, we cannot continue to sin and claim that we are walking in faith. So I want you to know, right now I'm going to tell you, that I'm not talking about persistent sin struggles that you have confessed to the Lord and one another. Like, I'm not going to tell you, but I'll tell you that there have been things that I have struggled with in my life for years and years that I crawled before the throne of God and said, forgive me a sinner. Well, we got there, <laughs> you know, it all wound up working out. And so those of you who are struggling, I don't want you to think that your faith is null and void. I don't want you to think that. I'm talking about harboring something. I'm talking about concealing something. When you know it is evil and wrong and you just say, Jesus, avert your eyes. So that's what I mean when I say these things cannot coexist. I wrestle with sin. We all wrestle with it. I'm not talking you, you must live a sinless life. What I mean is do not hold anything back. You must be dead to the old to live in the new. And that includes Torah. That includes the law. The law is gone. It is dead. And we are not bound to it. So how do we live our lives through the Holy Spirit in light of these things that we are dead to sin, we are dead to flesh, we are dead to the law? It says in chapter 8, verses 9 through 17, 
You are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will give you Life to your mortal bodies because of the spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you, by the spirit, you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received bought brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are his children, we are heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may share in his glory. This is the last piece of Christian life that I want to talk about is that we are bound to Christ in glory. We have heirs to the promise of Jesus Christ. See, we are not a people who are led by bit and bridle to righteousness. We are a people who come to our Lord God and we say, let me take your hand, Father, and, and you take me where you need to take me. I am not chained to God where he yanks me along. I follow him willfully and joyfully because he is my God and I love him, and he loves me. That's the motivation for goodness. That's the motivation for righteousness. That's the motivation behind our service. That's our motivation to leave the old sinful ways behind. I do not want to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. I want to do what's right because I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. Are you in Christ? then you should have nothing to do with sin and wickedness. There's no room for sin holdovers. And I'm going to shave a little time off and skip that we are more than conquerors, and I'll just say at the end that I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I want you to know as we round the corner to living this out as a people of faith, as we get into the third section, if we were to ask what God's motives were, there is only one, his deep love for us, his deep love for you. That's God's motive. Why did Jesus go to the cross? Because he loved his people because he loved his creation enough to suffer for it. Understand God loves you deeply and walk in that love, walk in that peace. So we are God's holy people. We are the chosen and the elect among all the world. All paths do not lead to the same mountaintop. So we have a way of life that we are called to live with one another corporately as God's people. Something that I don't uh, hear stress in the United States church. 
believe it or not, this isn't just about you, coffee, and Jesus. You are a part of a corporate body. You are a part of a people. You are a part of a family. And when I say this, I don't just mean Journey Christian Church. I am talking about all who confess Christ, not just around the globe today, but for the last 2,000 years I'm talking about people who are worshiping God today in other countries and other nations and other systems. I'm talking about people who are worshiping God in, in any way conceivable. They are your brothers and your sisters. And when I speak from here on forward, I am talking about them. I am talking about the full body of Christ's people, which in verses 9 through 11, what Paul talks about is how he says, I I anguish that all Israel has not come under Messiah, but there are those who have rejected Messiah and are now cut off from God due to the hardness of their hearts. And so he says in that case, what good is there in Judaism? What good is there in these things? And he says very much, for we had the prophets We had the law. We had the knowledge of God. We had the commandments. We, as a people, knew what righteousness was through the law. And more than that, the Messiah came through the bloodline of Abraham and his people. And I want you to know that... uh, as far as nationalities goes, I'm just a grab bag of, of things. I'm mostly European. So I can't claim that J- Jesus was Irish. I can't make that claim. No, Jesus was Jewish. There was much to, to be proud of to be Jewish. But in time, through Messiah, God collected the fullness of his people. And we call that the engrafted branches, the inclusion of Gentiles into full adoption as God's children. Israel is now the people who follow Messiah in faith. That is the true spiritual worship of the people Israel. Those who wrestle with God are those who are walking in Messiah, those who are walking in faith with Christ Jesus. And that is the fullness of God's people, the engrafted branches. And so how do we live as God's people, especially those of us who are new to it? That's a great question. I'm glad that you asked. It starts here. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We live our lives as a sacrifice to one another. We sacrifice ourselves for our brothers. We sacrifice ourselves for our sisters. And we look upon the body of Christ with the love that has been poured out into us. We flow out into those around us. We are to treat one another with love and submission. Love what means be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. 
serve one another, serve the church. And when I say that, I don't mean that you need to serve like Journey Christian. I mean serve one another in whatever way God has given that to you. If you claim that you are in Christ, you have a mission. You have spiritual gifting. You have a calling. You have a mission. You have something inside you that God created for you to do. There is a good work for you. So serve one another humbly in love. And when I say humbly, we must not look one another and say, I am above you because I have this gifting. If that's where you're at, you've missed the mark and you have allowed pride to blind you. No, we serve humbly, not regarding ourselves as high but low to wash the feet of one another. That's what it means to live in the community of God's people. We regard one another with love. And then we live in strength with one another. We live in strength with one another. And let me explain that a little bit. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat the, with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than the other, another considers every day alike. Each of them should be wholly convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat, does so to the Lord. They give thanks to God. Whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us live lives for ourselves alone and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord for this very reason Christ died and returned to life that we might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. The person who is of stronger faith is the believer who can live lives of the most freedom in Jesus. That's who the strong one of faith is, the one who can live life to the fullest with Jesus Christ and not have to conform to lots of religious rules. Now, I'm going to head something off at the pass here that you might be thinking, oh, well, if the one who can experience the most freedom is the one who is the stronger one in faith, then I'm going to go out and do whatever I want. And when the church says, hey, you're not allowed to do that, I'm going to go, oh, you're a weak brother. I'll bear with you. Well, we've already covered. If you have that attitude, we need to go all the way back to chapter one here. I'm talking about those who are truly trying to please God. And the one who is strong in faith knows that as you are walking in the Holy Spirit, the Spirit will lead you. I fast for Lent, but I don't tell other people they must fast for Lent. I wear a suit when I preach because I love it. I do not ask others to preach in a suit. I'm free. I am free. 
I can practice all the spiritual disciplines I want because they're good for me and you are free to experience all the spiritual disciplines you want and I promise I will not judge you if you find Christ in your garden. Do you know how spiritual working in the yard is for me? The answer is zero. (laughs) But for you, who knows? The point is, is that the person who has a stronger faith is the believer who lives the most freedom in Jesus. I'm going to read 4.13, and then, and this is going to, this is going to be my last one. 14.13, therefore let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. There's no more room for judgment among God's people. There is no more room for hypocrisy. There is no more room for infighting. We are one. We are one with the Catholics. We are one with the Baptists. We are one with the Pentecostals. We are one with the Seventh-day Adventists. We are one with the Christian church. We are one with everyone who confesses Jesus Christ as Lord and Master. We are one people, and it is no longer, those of you who have heard the sermon, can we look at others and judge their religious practices harshly if they are doing it with good conscience, without sin, for the Lord. We are one people, serving one another humbly in love for the good and the glory of God. That's the book of Romans. There it is. I am not ashamed of the gospel, brothers and sisters. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God revealed to bring righteousness. None of us earned our place in the kingdom, and yet we all share the inheritance of Christ. The gospel gave all of us new life, It freed us from sin and death and taught us how to love. It taught us how to be patient. It's the power of God revealed to bring righteousness to a wicked world and holiness to an evil heart. That's the power of God to change people. It's the power of God to change things. And it all rests on God's righteousness and not ours. And that righteousness is to be received by faith, not works. No, our works are a labor of the loving thanksgiving that we have to serve one another humbly in love, just as Christ served us as we trudge the happy road of destiny together with the hope and the love poured out into us through Messiah. Amen. And if you would indulge me, There is something that means a great deal to me. And it's called doxology and benediction. So some of you, you might hear that and like, oh my. But I have to show off that I did go to Bible college, so I use big words for simple things. And doxology is praise to God. And in my opinion, if you study God and it does not end in praise, then you have missed the point. And so I'm going to read a doxology, and then we're going to sing a very short song. And if you don't know it, I'm going to unmike, but you'll hear my voice, and then you'll know why I don't serve on the worship team. It will be firmly embedded in your minds. 
And then it's going to end with a blessing. And it's the blessing that you have, you have given up time to be here. You have come here to worship. And I believe that the blessing of God should go with you as you exit. And so please stand for the doxology and benediction. Oh, the depth and riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. This is the benediction that Paul gives, and I would like to give to you, and it's Romans 15, 13. May the hope of God fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen. You may be seated.